Welcome to the HR on the Offensive podcast, brought to you by Lace Partners. Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, and welcome to the latest HR on the Offensive podcast. It's me, Chris Howard from Lace Partners. As always, thank you very much for joining us for another very special podcast. And it's a special podcast because recently, at the time of recording, we have just launched our People and Workforce Analytics service offering. And I thought it would be completely remiss of me if I didn't get two of the wonderful members of the People and Workforce Analytics team along to talk about a white paper that we've written in conjunction with the launch. So I've got Nancy Allen. Hello, Nancy. How are you doing? Hi, Chris. And I've got Julian Holmes. Julian, how are you doing? How's it going, Chris? Yeah, it's going well. We're going to talk about the white paper, the white paper which we released at the beginning of March, which is called Market Pulse Check, Seven Common Themes in People Analytics. And what I wanted to do today is just take maybe 25, 30 minutes, just have a chat with you guys about some of the themes, why we did the white paper and stuff like that. So before I do that, though, we might as well do some introductions, just a bit of background on both of you guys. So I think we'll start with ladies first, Julian, if that's all right. And Nancy, if you can tell us a little bit about who you are and where you've come from. And that sounded like Scylla Black and for all of those people who are old enough to remember Blind Date. That was not my intention whatsoever. Great reference. <laughs> so yeah, I'm Nancy Allen. I'm a manager at Lace Partners and I specialise in people and workforce analytics. Been with Lace for about six months now. And prior to that, I spent about 10 years in industry heading up various people analytics teams. Nice. And Julian? Yeah, Julian Holmes. I joined Lace a couple of months ago. I'm one of the executive team. I'm focusing on people and workforce analytics, but might do a bit of org design and things like that on the side. I've been in this sort of workforce transformation and analytics space for about 15 years. Nice. So talk to me, you guys, about this white paper. So we obviously had a conversation about this last year, and this has been quite some time in the making. Quite a lot of work has gone into production of this white paper. But I'll start with you, Nancy, if that's all right, just to give our listeners, if you can give them a bit of a flavour as to why did we want to conduct this research? What is it we wanted to find out from it? So last year, we decided as we were setting up our people and workforce analytics service offering that we just wanted to reach out to the market and see kind of what the common challenges facing leaders were. So we connected with about 30 heads of people analytics and also some of the major tech vendors as well, just to get their thoughts on what they're finding challenging, what their successes are, how they feel about technology. And I think as we had those conversations, we realized they weren't just relevant for our work internally and going to market, but also we thought it started to make a really great piece of research and that's where the white paper came from. Nice, very nice. And in terms of the white paper itself, Julian, obviously it's broken down into seven sections. So actually, I'll probably ask you both guys to comment on this. We've got section number one, which is storytelling and internal consulting. Engaging stakeholders is section number two. Governance and ethics is section number three. Data management and reporting is section number four. Tech infrastructure, section number five. Change management, section number six. And business transformation as section number seven. Those are kind of the key findings. Let's start with the storytelling and internal consulting. So Julian, from your perspective, can you just give us a bit of an overview of that section, what it's about? 
Yeah, I think in some ways, I'm jumping ahead a bit. I think this was one of the surprises was when I had been sort of doing workforce analyst consultancies about a decade ago, the real buzzword was where can we get hold of data scientists and behavioral scientists? Where can we get hold of advanced modeling and these sort of super brains? And they were very hard to come by. What we've actually found, though, when we were talking to our clients is that I think they're more open to working in collaboration if they've got other analytics people in their business to do some of that heavy lifting in terms of number crunching. And instead, where the real gap was, was people who could bring their data and insights to life, really work with the business, and people who could persuade senior stakeholders to engage and and start taking more evidence-based decisions. So yeah, real need for, shall we say, people who can bridge the words of analytics and data, but also people who talk the language of business. Yeah. And do you think, I guess I'll post this to you, Nancy, as well. Do you think that's quite a minority in terms of the number of businesses that you guys have spoken to just and your your background experience, even before you joined LACE as well, that ability of combining the consulting with the analytical skills? How many companies have actually really cracked that? I would say very few, to be honest. So there's the concept we talk about quite a lot, which is about purple people. So you'll have your very, very technically minded, analytically savvy good at modeling skill sets. And then you have the sort of more business consulting side. And most people are one or the other. You do get the occasional people who are both the purple people because they're red and blue. And I think the majority of your analytics teams tend to be more on that technical side without the consulting skills that they need to really have the impact. And what we sometimes say there, Chris, is it is very unusual to find that skill set combined in one person. So instead, we sort of encourage clients to think about having purple teams. So more technical people, more data-driven people who can work with the consultants. So acting as translators back to the business. Yeah. And so we also, just to combine, just for the benefit of the listeners, combining with the launch of this white paper, we also ran an event. And of the, and you guys obviously went along to that event. And I'd imagine you probably touched on this sort of area when you were talking to them. Was that the general feeling in the room that we need to, for the people and workforce analytics teams of the future, we are going to need to build these different types of skill sets that we're going to need to have maybe different types of people of those different types of colours? So absolutely at the dinner, I think there was agreement that that the requirement for that combination of technical skills and consulting skills. But it's also true to say that most people analytics teams don't have the luxury, they don't have infinite budgets. So one of the considerations is actually the different choices they need to make around where they invest. So there was also a lot of discussion about, for example, could we invest more in technology to automate some of the things that we do? So we'll free up our resources to do more analytics work. Yeah. Do you know what? I'm going to jump ahead just because you mentioned the technology thing, because that's obviously section number five. I don't mind who wants to uh, jump in on this one. So I'm going to give you both a bit of a free swim on that just to talk a little bit about that. Maybe just broaden out based on what you've just said, Julian. And then Nancy, if you want to add any flavour onto what Julian was just talking about there within that that section five around tech infrastructure. What did the research sort of interviewees that you talked about say? And then also what some of the conversations took place at the event too? So I think the sort of classic debate around people analytics technology is around build versus buy. So there are some pretty good products out on the market, but some companies may think that they're too expensive. So they'll try and replicate them in-house with, I think, a lot of challenges that come with that. So can you really sort of truly replicate things like a predictive model within a sort of more classic Tableau or a Power BI? That's something that came up certainly at the forum last week and in our conversations. I think as well, it's about actually utilising your technology. So you might buy the shiny new product, but do you really know how to get the most value from it? And that's not just kind of within your 
probably quite technically skilled analytics team. It's also about your wider HR function. Do they really know kind of how to interrogate it? Have you pushed self-service as far as you can so that the information that people need is just kind of being pushed out to them and you're not going to have to sort of go and talk to a human to get what you need. It's just there for you. I suppose, are you pushing the utilization as far as you can? And that serves lots of purposes. It's not just about putting the data at people's fingertips. It's also about shifting the balance of the work that your team does from being reporting heavy to more analytically focused and driving business value. And uh, what Nancy just said there really speaks to one of the other things, which is around change management, the kind of analogy we're using at the moment. Some of the people we're talking to have made a lot of technology investments. They, for example, have a cloud HR solution. They might have some analytics modules or some workforce planning modules. But I think overall, as Nancy said, while the analytics teams might be using that, those technologies, it appears to be a stretch to get the rest of the HR team and the business to use these technologies to actually understanding where they are and starting to make decisions. So perhaps this was actually you mentioned by some of the technology vendors is to help analytics team really think about how they roll out that new technology, how they tell a story around what's in it for me, for the potential users, so that it doesn't just become a piece of shiny technology in the HR technology stack. Instead, it becomes something that people use and value. Yeah, I think that's really important, isn't it? I mean, we've done podcasts previously talking to providers, particularly when in the adoption space, where you're talking about, you know, these days, employees, some of them have like 30 or 40 or 50 different types of tech applications that they have to use, whether booking their holiday or whether doing their time management or whatever it is. And if you're just loading in another one of these in without actually giving them the context as to this is how it's going to make your life easier. It's, it's what you said, Julian, it's that that telling the story as well. But I quite liked what you guys put in the report where you're talking about almost winning the hearts and minds of people. I think that's really, really important as well. You know, it's about bringing people on the journey. You know, you've got so much tech that's being being pushed in, you have to show them the value. And so bringing them on that journey, showing them why this is important, that's going to improve their daily lives, their work lives. I think that's quite an important thing too, as well, isn't it, Nancy? Yeah, absolutely. And I think something we've been discussing a lot internally is that there are a lot of kind of classic linear people analytics maturity models out there. We do see it slightly differently in that I think a good people analytics team needs to operate at all of those levels. So you want to spend less time on the operational stuff, but you can't abandon it or forget it exists altogether because that is how a lot of your stakeholders will be getting their more simple information. I think the best example we've seen of it is one that McKinsey put out a few years ago, where you have to think about the mindset of your stakeholders as much as the analytical maturity of your team. And if they don't match up, you could have the most analytically advanced team out there. But if your stakeholders are just thinking about headcount reporting, then they're essentially a waste of money. Yeah. Definitely. Right. So I want to move us back up. I appreciate I've jumped forward a few steps on the report itself, but I just thought it's quite interesting talking about that, that tech side of it. And as you mentioned, Julian, the change side of it, which is in sections five and six of the report. But let's move back up to section two, engaging stakeholders. So Julian, can you just give our, our listeners a little bit of a flavour as to what we're talking about within that section itself? This is mentioned by almost everybody who we interviewed, which which was for majority of people we interviewed, the people analytics function sits within HR. 
But if if they really want to add value to the business and they also want to improve the employee experience, that the, the question then becomes, well, well, how do they how do they reach the business? How do they understand what the business needs? How do they know what em- employees want? And frankly, w- one of the challenges was, well, you know, do we work with our HR business partners and different HR business partners may be more or less comfortable using data and, and insights to, to have a discussion with the business? And and they may the people analytics might not even be that well connected with the with the HR business partners or, or all the business partners that they need to be. And then there's also the fact, of course, that a lot of the analytics capability in the business will sit outside HR. So there'll be analytics capability in finance, could be in sales and marketing. So how do you build those bridges to work together? So I think perhaps one of the defining attributes of, of teams who perhaps made a little bit more progress in people analytics was that they thought really carefully about their stakeholders, who they wanted to engage, who they wanted to influence. They made sure they had a, a great channel to the chief people officer and and that they were ahead of you know the big workforce, the big people questions, so that they were able to provide timely evidence and insights to to start shaping some of that conversation. Yeah. Do you know what was really interesting? And I just wrote this down just before we were we were going live. So I just wanted to get your kind of view on this, just reading into this section. It talks about um, in the getting stakeholder trust section, it talks about the people and workforce analytics as seen as a lesser analytical discipline. So I wanted to get your kind of thoughts on that. Is there, Nancy, is there a bit of a, from the people that you've spoken to, a bit of an inferiority complex, do you think, for some of these teams? I'd say it doesn't necessarily sit within the team. It's perhaps the perception of of the team and that can be a reflection of the work they're doing. And I think it's also a reflection of maybe a sort of lack of data literacy in the wider HR function as well. If you think about how a finance team uses data or a marketing team uses data, then HR is probably at least a a decade behind in terms of what they're doing. And there's also the kind of classic occasional difference of opinion between finance and HR when it, it comes to numbers as well. And if there's any kind of difference at all, then you just kind of get bogged down in working out what is causing the variance. And, and that, again, it, it can just waste time. And I think a point that we make in the white paper is that finance will make decisions based on data that is imperfect a lot of the time, and that's seen as completely fine. And how else can they do it, given the context of what they're working in? But HR isn't held to that standard, it's held to a higher standard. I think it does come back to that mindset of sometimes being seen as that lesser discipline, mm. even though we obviously think it's not. Also, Chris, there's a bit of history here, right? I mean, the reality is, is people have been using finance systems for a lot longer than they've been using HR systems. So it was it's true to say that the data wasn't there. And I think what's interesting as well is as somebody who's worked in both finance and in HR, I think overall there's a, a surprising lack of understanding and comprehension about the different types of data and how you need to manage it, you know, within within HR and with within finance and other parts of the business. So it's a lot of it is around is around misunderstanding and and a, and a lack of time. And, and and part of it is finance are used to dealing with things which are the jargon word is fungible. So basically they're used to things which are fundamentally the same and they can count them. 
the thing is when you're dealing with people is that well yeah people can be similar to each other but actually there's a lot of lot of differences as well so what i would say is the thing about hr data compared to a lot of business data is that hr data is small data there's not a lot of it but it's very complex data it's very heterogeneous it's very different to each other and that just necessarily means that some of the techniques you need to use and the way you analyze the data and the way you model and the way you present your findings needs to be quite different yeah. And do you know what's really interesting is well, within that section, obviously, you talk about some of the topics that some of the interviewees went through hybrid working, employee attrition, DNI pay gap modeling, employee engagement experience, strategic workforce planning, chatbots, measuring productivity. You know, like you said, the, the, all the nuances in here, it just, it's a lot, it's not as black and white, is it? No, not well, at all. And, and I think. Again, one of the which is actually really in the in the in the, the kind of final theme in the paper is we are increasingly now being asked, and I think there's more of a trend in the market which is thinking about perhaps historically people analytics was focused on what you might call business as usual people issues, and also to some degree focusing on how well the HR function was performing. But what's increasingly happening is that people are thinking about, well, because we live in, in such pace or business change at the moment, whether it's automation or AI or, or, or digitization, is that business is changing, the work that people need to do is changing, therefore, you know, the workforce needs to needs to adapt and change. And people are looking for analytics around that to shape what they do. What is interesting is that many people analytics functions are perhaps not as heavily involved in those transformation questions as they as they might be. Mm, yeah. Um, I want to move us on to the third section, Nancy. It's um a section around compliance and ethics. I'm just hoping you can just give us a bit of a flavour around that because there was some interesting stuff that came in there around like the regulatory stuff, particularly moving across regions and the challenges that analytics teams are facing. So can you just give us a bit of a, a flavour of that, that section number three for me? Yeah, so again, the majority of people that we spoke to for the paper talked about sort of running up against compliance and ethics challenges. So as, as you say, especially if you're working in a multinational business, then you're going to be dealing with lots of different regulatory environments around what data you can collect, what data you can aggregate, what data you can report on. You know, we all know about GDPR, but then there's a whole world to think about as well and the, the different environments that exist out there. And it can be a complete minefield. And it's about getting that balance right between what is an acceptable level of risk and what is a complete no-go and what actually is probably a... um perfectly sensible business topic to be working on. But then perhaps if you're working in for a more risk-averse company, you're just never going to get out the gate with it. So I think a lot of the um, people we spoke to just talked about the challenges of having to sort of operate without any kind of guardrails and how that can really slow them down. Or they might do a lot of pre-work, but then it gets shut down and it, it can be a very challenging environment. Yeah, I mean, Julian, from your perspective, in this particular section, is there anything that sort of came out for you or stood out for you that you that you thought was particularly interesting i thought some of the conversations for example around that improved governance and analytics teams looking at okay how do we work better cross-functionally i thought that was quite interesting to hear that from some of your interviewees yeah i mean i think part of the issue i mean it, it, as, as nancy says the regulation is complicated but i think what that sometimes means as well is that businesses don't have streamlined processes and governance to to deal with these questions the reality is is that, is that businesses businesses have to deal with regulatory frameworks you know whether it's customer data whatever it might be there's there's complexity everywhere so it's about having 
your process and your governance to be be appropriate for the level of risk that there is to the business. And sometimes that might mean you can't use, for example, from the people analytics perspective, you can't use the data you want to use, but you have to use perhaps another data set that's less sensitive, perhaps less revealing, but will directionally give you the information you need to be able to progress and, and get on with things. So there's a very important influencing role that the people analytics team can play to make sure that the business as a whole has the, the right approach to sort of ethics and data governance. Certainly. So we've got just a couple more sections I want to cover off in our little slot for today's podcast. So I'm going to move us on to section number four around data management and reporting. This was a quite an interesting one, I thought. I really, I thought the, the quote, Nancy, about our organisation really just wants reporting that works rather than analytics. I don't know if you can just expand on some thoughts around that, actually, based on either what the interviewee said, or I'd imagine you probably had a few conversations like this in the community event that we ran the other night. Yeah, it was one of the main topics that came up last week. And I think what we were trying to get to here is that sometimes analytics and reporting are used as interchangeable terms, when of course they're completely different things. And I think the danger is that people ask for analytics, but actually they just want, you know, five variations of the same turnover report, which doesn't really deliver much business value. And it just really can take away a lot of your capacity as well. There are clients we speak to and and people we spoke to for this paper whose analytics teams are probably spending, you know, more than half their time and probably much more than that doing reporting, which again, it goes back to the points we made earlier about really getting true value from your technology investments because they should be doing that for you. And it also links very well to stakeholder engagement and data literacy because, again, if you kind of have that mindset about knowing the right questions to ask and knowing the information you need to to shape or to run your business, then you shouldn't be getting bogged down in your turnover reports or your headcount reports. And I think it also goes back to that sort of lesser discipline piece as well. So data quality is, is an issue. We call it out in that section of the white paper. And again, it, it's often something that's seen as the people analytics team's job to own when really you're just extracting data from a system. You're not responsible for the actual input. So if you don't have those kind of clear processes in place, then again, it's one of those things that can really drain your time around away from the things that are valuable. Yeah, it's really, do you know what's really interesting? I've been on a few podcasts talking about employee experience. I went onto a podcast with the head of digital employee experience for Kraft Heinz, Toppy uh, Sadiku, and we talked about who owns the employee experience. She was like, well, it's not just one team. And I guess it's the same principle for this analytics or gathering. It's, it's the data side of it and the management of data. It can't just sit. It can't just be, okay, people in workforce analytics guys, you're responsible for all the data now. So you guys crack on. The responsibility is universally applied across the whole of the organization, doesn't it? I see you nodding, Julian. So I'm going to bring you in on this one. Yeah, no, I think as businesses want to, but fundamentally it's about businesses making better workforce decisions. And um, to do that, you, you know, you need to look at the data you have and you need to ask questions about it. Um, you also need to understand what the important business questions are. And say, so, I mean, you know, if I had TP to in, invest in improving people analytics, I think I would probably be be sort of spending that TP on on helping my HR and business colleagues be better customers for for people and analytics and insights because I think that once they once they can ask better questions I think that that the value will flow from that yeah 
Certainly, certainly. I thought the bit in that section which talks about making sure that reporting volume, you know, you're not reporting for reporting sake almost, the reporting volumes bit was quite interesting. So I do think it's not just a people workforce analytics things, but I do think across a variety of different functions, businesses do tend to get too bogged down in the let's just report everything just for the sake of it. And actually, as Julian was just touching on, not asking the question, it's almost asking the question, why? Why are we bothering to report this? What actual difference is it going to make? Just get any final sort of thoughts from you on that perspective, Nancy, just before we move on to the, the seventh uh, and final section. Yeah, I think I think that's absolutely right. You need to really boil down what you're reporting on to the you know the absolute essentials which should link back to your strategy so what data will tell you whether you're delivering on your strategy or not let's just keep it at that you don't need to look at anything else and I think there's some form of almost I think decision paralysis in there as well so mm -hmm. I, if I think back to some of my previous roles then you'd be asked for variations of the same report because they'd want to cut the data in five different ways but then they weren't actually doing anything with it so it it wasn't really adding any value but it also sort of pushed any hard decisions that you might need to make if you were actually acting on what you were receiving and kicking the can down the road a little bit so I, I think there is an element of that behavior in there too yeah definitely right so we're just going to move on because we are running short on time for today's podcast but i just want to touch on this final section which i thought this was particularly interesting and the section's called obviously business transformation looking about how it's it the focus is almost on the now it's the operational what are we reporting on now rather than what's the future potential of our people analytics particularly and it references strategic workforce planning as an option or as an opportunity there so again julian just touch on that section for me about how is there being is there an opportunity being missed by analytics teams Yes, Chris. So historically, for 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 reasons, if you if you look at the what you have is you have several connected disciplines in my view. So there's people analytics, there is organization design, there is strategic workforce planning, and a lot of work around talent and talent analytics. And what's interesting is that if you look at the the people who practice in those areas, they often have quite different educational backgrounds. They study different things at university. They had quite different career paths. But I think what's happening is that increasingly as we apply insights and data, market data, understanding of roles, understanding of skills, you can begin to see a world where really those disciplines, the org design discipline, SWP, strategic workforce planning and, and, and talent insights begin to come together. And, and as we live in this highly sort of volatile and, and changing world, whether it's due to automation, whether it's because of machine learning and artificial intelligence, means that um, the, the work in the business is changing rapidly and the workforce needs to change and adapt to, to, to meet those, those changes in roles. And the business is actually desperate for HR to help them build and change the workforce to be able to meet those those new needs. So I see a real opportunity for clients to start thinking about those disciplines together. And certainly a lot of the people analytics teams that we spoke to during the interviews, perhaps historically, we're not focused on those big business change questions, but they are increasingly being asked to focus on. 
yeah, really, really fascinating stuff. Nancy, just any kind of final thoughts on that section just before we're going to wrap up? And I'm going to ask you both just before we leave, if you can only let our listeners leave with one takeaway, what would it be? But just before that, any sort of final thoughts from that business transformation section, people that you spoke to, anything like that? Yeah, I mean, I'd echo what Julian said, really. I think not involving your people and workforce analytics team is a real missed opportunity for a lot of organizations and hopefully they're starting to see the light a little bit because they have the skill set to do it they're used to working with sensitive data so it does seem like a bit of a no-brainer nice so julian if you can only leave if apart from and the, the answer here can't be download the white paper by the way if you if the listeners can only uh, take away sort of one thing from this what would be your one your one big piece of advice again just to reiterate don't say Download the white paper. That's a cop out. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, th- I think what I would say is that I think sometimes people analysts can feel like a bit of a lonely game. You know, it can be a, a relatively small team and pushing a, a big heavy rock up a big hill, basically. And 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 dare I say it, sometimes the the rock rolls the wrong way. So I think the good thing about the paper is we, we did speak to a real variety of organisations. These themes were common across all of them. Uh, different scale, different detailed issues, but the fundamental themes are the same. So I think using the paper as a chance to take stock, where are we, where are we going, I think should be very helpful to people. Maybe there's a bit of therapy in there for people to mm-hmm. maybe some Schadenfreude as well. But then what I would say is, um, look, the, kind of from our perspective, the paper isn't really finished yet because it talks about what, what some, of the, some of the challenges are and what some of the opportunities are. What we really want to do is, is to work with the people analytics community to start saying, okay, well, which things out, out of these things, what are things that people have tried that they really feel has worked and they would recommend to try? What are the things that they tried and they really went wrong and they would really recommend that other people stay away from because there, there are pitfalls there? And also what's next? What are, what, are, what are new ways that people are thinking about tackling these, these perennial issues without getting into detail? And that's the United had a meeting with somebody who definitely has some strong views on, on some answers to some of these themes. So that's what I'd really encourage you to do. Join the people and analyst community. Join ours if you'd like to. We, you're more than welcome. And together, I think we can start working through answers and practical ways forward to really help people analytics achieve everything that it should be and can be. Lovely. And Nancy, any final thoughts before we wrap up today? I think something that we mentioned that I think cuts cuts through a lot of the themes in the white paper is that you don't need to wait for things to be perfect and that good enough is better than doing nothing. So, you know, you don't need your data to be in perfect shape because, well, for a start, it never can be inherently. You don't need to have like, you know, your full team up to speed, just get going with what you have. And I think it's about ruthless prioritization as well. So if it doesn't add business value, don't do it. It's a lot easier for me to say that than to do it in practice. But that's the kind of principle that I think you need to apply. Lovely. Thank you very much. Well, listen, Julian, absolutely fantastic having you on today. Thank you very much for joining me. Pleasure. Thanks, Chris. And Nancy, wonderful to have you on again. Thanks for having me. You can, of course, get this podcast wherever you get your podcasts. We are everywhere. Apple, iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, Spotify, all of that jazz. You can find us on the website as well, lacepartners.co.uk forward slash podcast. That's it from me today. That's it from Nancy. That's it from Julian. Thank you very much for listening. We hope you've enjoyed this particular run through of our latest white paper. Once again, that white paper is called Market Pulse Check, Seven Common Themes in People Analytics. So I'm going to say it. Download the white paper.
ever. Have a little read and let us know what you think. And if, as Julian said, if you want to join the community, then please feel free to reach out to us. Until next time, thank you very much for joining us. And we'll see you next time on the HR on the Effective Podcast. Bye-bye.